Love Talk Radio. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. The Nepalese Meditation Bowl is chiming, and that means it's time for The Art of the CEO, the show for people who enjoy the challenge of business and who want to do it a little better. I'm your host, Bart Jackson, the Hieronymus Bosch of business, and every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, The Art of the CEO streams magically through the immensely misunderstood realms of cyberspace, where you may listen and download all our episodes by visiting blogtalkradio.com slash the art of the CEO. That's blogtalkradio.com slash the art of the CEO. And <coughs> excuse me, folks. And whether you're a CEO with a large architectural firm ever striving to make humans kind places of work more creative and conducive, like John, or if you're a labor attorney bent on making managers and working people play more profitably together like Mitch, we're here to bring you the sage counsel of business masters to help your career and your ventures. And today's episode is entitled Creating Awake, Why the Nonprofit Princeton National Rowing Association Always Wins. And revealing to us the most effective way to keep your nonprofit growing and the funds flowing, plus a little bit about the thrill of the nation's oldest sport, is our featured guest, Mr. Chris Groot. He's the executive director of the Princeton National Rowing Association. And yesterday we are going to look into uh, one nonprofit that simultaneously has made itself both a community and a national center. And we're going to look at how they deftly combine the resources of many local institutions and the spirited enthusiasms of thousands of devoted individuals to make this place a national mark. But before we uh, all start manning the orders and learning about the true art of teamwork in the most literal sense, believe me, let's, why don't we take a moment and supply everyone out there with a few utensils for today's Feast of Wisdom. So first, as I always do, uh, allow me to remind each of you hearing my voice that the good Lord has gifted you with the title and privileges of Chief Executive Officer of yourself. Now, that's the most important position you'll ever hold in your career. So I ask, will this be the day that you look at that mental board of directors in your head, you know, those individuals whose perceived judgment you let direct you, and will you terminate and purge the destructive members, or will you continue to let some phantom image of others guide you along your way? The choice is truly yours. And the second utensil, it is time to dip into a little laughter and take a scriptural recitation from the 101 Best Business Quips book. So let me pull it out here. Hold on. Okay, here's one right toward the beginning. This is number four. Giving a man the title creative director doesn't make him so. Innovative ideas, alas, are no respecters of impressively high rank. (laughs) And as an afterthought... Just ask yourself, have you ever asked the delivery boy in the elevator what he thinks of your latest uh, plan or advertising slogan? You know, in our own firm, our CEO loved one new book title so much that he dreamt up he was going to use it until collaborators who heard it began hanging up the phone in response. Enough said. Look around. And as a third utensil, perhaps we should call today's utensil the coxswain's knife, 
Right now, we are going to give you the answers to last week's business quotation. Now, today, before we leave the air, we'll broadcast yet another quotation, and we invite you to email us the name of the author, as you believe him or her to be. Simply write down that name and mail it to info at bartsbooks.com. That's I-N-F-O at B-A-R-T-S-B-O-O-K-S dot com. And if you are correct, we will send you a marvelous gift, freshly disemboweled from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. So, the author of last week's quote, uh, which came out of a business conversation uh, about a little more than a century ago, Andrew Carnegie said to this particular author and buyer, uh, right after selling him his entire steelmaking empire, you know, actually, I think I should have asked for another hundred million, to which this buyer replied, and if you had, I'd have paid it. <laughs> that buyer was none other than uh, our own, not overly beloved, but amazingly able, Mr. J.P. Morgan. So now, let us dig into today's Feast of Wisdom and find out from Executive Director Chris Groot what the strokes are that keep surging the Princeton National Rowing Association on to triumph. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine, Bart. Thank you for uh, inviting me on your show. Oh, I'm so glad you could come here. It's, this is this is great. I have rowed all my life, and I, I've absolutely adored it. Chris, you've been the uh, Executive Director of the Princeton National Rowing Association since 2008, uh, I believe. So could you tell us a little bit about the association today, uh, whom it serves, uh, what takes place there? Give us a lowdown. Yeah, we, we are a nonprofit organization. We, um, our, our goal, our mission is to provide people of all skills and age levels an opportunity to row and a place mm-hmm. to row. So we have a Mercer Junior and Master's program. We have about 200 kids from 35 different high schools in the area rowing wow. for our That's junior great. program. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a nationally ranked program. Um, and then we have the national team, which trains with us, um, which oh. becomes the Olympic team on the Olympic year. And wow. they're here um, most of the year. We provide uh, summer camps for kids um, going into high school to learn how to row, um, a week-long wow, camp where they get exposed to it. Additionally, we have um, a number of regattas that we host each year. We've hosted the, the National Collegiate Championship, um, among others. Uh, oh, we'll be, uh, I have been to those. They're amazing. <laughs> it's like a, a horde of, of, of fabulous athletes. Everybody's smiling. It's great. And then the, the newest thing we're delving into is some corporate rowing experience um, oh. where we, corporations can come out with a group and uh, learn a little bit more about teamwork and working together in a boat. Oh. Wonderful, wonderful. I, I do want to talk more about that later because uh, I know I, there's probably no sport that demands more of it. But before we get into that, I understand uh, that under your leadership, as of yesterday, uh, you and the uh, MPRA have just received an amazing honor. So enlighten us. Tell us what it is. Yeah, U.S. Rowing, which is the governing body of rowing in the United States, named our our club, our organization, the Club of the Year for 2015. Um, Out of about 1,200 organizations in the country, we were selected as being the top one. Wow. What of oh my goodness, my goodness! You are truly valedictorians. Good for you. Uh, uh, it, 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 it's really an indication of all the people that are involved in the programs. Um, they're the ones that do all the work. I just get to to uh, accept the awards when they come through. 
Oh, that's good. It's it's and modest of you, I'm sure. But that's one of the things I wanted to talk about. Uh, was, was all these the, the people and the feeling. You, you know, the uh, Princeton National Rowing Association is it's it's a rowing palace that sprang out of a swamp. I literally remember wandering the woods back there in the 80s before there was even a lake. And so then the county comes in and they put it apart. They built the lake and. Boom, there is this almost magical rowing explosion. And so before I ask how, what I kind of like to do is ask why. And by that I mean, what kind of atmosphere, what energy lies in this area that makes uh, this into a national rowing center? There, there must be some sort of special groundswell. Could you put your finger on that for us? Well, I think it comes first with the facility we have, the lake. As you said, it was a swamp, but then in the 1980s, it was uh, the lake was created for the park. And the rumor is that one of the engineers was a rower and said, if we straighten out the lake like this, we can get a 2,000 meter, which is standard race course um, distance in it, and we can make it so it's a six or seven lanes wide, which is a standard. Which I had always attributed to being a wives' tale, um, one of those things that go along with the lake. Until I talked with one of the park employees who was around at the beginning of the the, uh-huh. the lake, and he said they were tying the first race course to the tree stumps that were at the bottom of the lake. So <laughs> there may be something to that. <laughs> but, now that is foresight. Yeah, the thing that makes it really a great venue is the, the park around it. Um, when we have regattas, um, there's space for the teams to spread out. Um, it's a beautiful park. If you haven't been there, it's a great place to go. Um, and we're we're located in a place that people can get to. Um, as far as the local group, um, I think we came along at the right time um, when there's a lot of the sports, um, like with the juniors, football, lacrosse, soccer, when you're starting to have injuries, concussions are a big thing. People were looking around. And rowing is one of those sports that you don't have that, but you can still... Um, it, it still um, become physically active, um, and there's the team dynamic. I know we've touched on that, but um, that team dynamic that's special to rowing, I think there's a lot of people that really enjoy that and really get off on that. I, th- I think so, and historically, there is, uh, as a side sideline, there is a nearby lake called Carnegie Lake, named after uh, steelmaker Andrew Carnegie, and uh, you you mentioned something. Do you know why they built Carnegie Lake? You probably do. I have been told that um, the people, some Princeton alumni, wanted to have a rowing team that could compete with Harvard and Yale because they felt they needed to. And the only thing they could row on was the canal. And so they it convinced uh, Andrew Carnegie that uh, he should invest in the lake. Carnegie apparently um, did not like football, American football, and so saw rowing as a cleaner sport and a sport that would be better for kids. And so he helped to um, purchase the land to build the lake. That's that's absolutely right. I read several articles about this, and that's exactly it. He he thought uh, American football was, in his own words, barbaric. And, uh, of course, they... the college I was was hoping for some whole fleet of new buildings or a library or something like this. When he got the lake, I think they were a little surprised, but I think it's turned out to be one of the best cotton-picking gifts that college has ever received. Uh, but moving I, on, let's 
let's uh, get let's get back to you. Now you're a veteran oarsman from way back. You married a top oarswoman. Uh, could you tell us uh, briefly how you got into the sport of rowing? And I'm curious because a lot of people are a lot of people are looking at this. What made you go administratively professional? What what uh, so how you what got you into rowing and what made you follow the administrative route? I'm not sure if you remember back in the the 1970s. There's a television show called Banachek that began with uh, oh, the yeah. lead character out sculling, rowing a, a yeah, boat. Right, right. Uh, I watched that intro and I thought that looks like fun. I'd like to try that someday. Hmm. Um, when I was in college, I, I initially ran track in college and then I had some problems with my knees so I was looking around for what to do and I switched to rowing and uh, as they said once I got involved there um, it's the rest is kind of history I I um, once I finished with college I wasn't in a place my job didn't allow me to row every day so I, I stayed involved with the sport by becoming a referee an official um, and, and that led to being uh, on the committee that oversees all officials in the United States um, for about 10 years, and then a little time on the board of directors for U.S. Rowing. Uh, and now for rowing, in addition to my full-time job, I uh, am serving on the commission that oversees all of the rowing officials internationally. Wow. Uh, as, far as, getting into, as far as getting into the administration part of it, I was in the high-tech industry for 17 years, uh, and then the oh, company for decided to shut down U.S. operations. I was looking around, and uh, they offered me the position. And it kind of matched my love of the sport with uh, some of the skills I had, and, and here I am. So, ladies and gentlemen, I, uh, Chris has just pointed out something uh, very, very uh, helpful to a lot of people who are looking for changes or uh, are going to be forced into changes. They're is a broad set of skills that we each have, and it doesn't fit into just one slot. You don't want to say, well, I am a marketer of uh, uh, offshore wind, and therefore I can't do any other kind of marketing. No. this, this uh, Chris uh, was able to search around and by his own dint match pa- passion with uh, a great skill that he built. So I congratulate you on that. Now, Lord, um, I was actually listening to somebody yesterday at lunch, and he was talking about, you know, if, you, if you're lucky, you'll plan for everything, and it'll happen. But if you're really lucky, all your plans will go be left by the wayside, and you'll experience something much better. And I think that's where I've fallen into. <laughs> oh, well, bless you for, for being able to be aware of that. Now, that's good. Uh, now, uh, and, and that was one of the things I was going to talk about, is that how you... Uh, and how you entered the organization, and and you have really just answered a uh, thought that I had in my mind, that you really do have to let things uh, see what life brings you, rather than plan it too tightly. As a matter of fact, I would like to, if I may, ladies and gentlemen, call that a quill pen moment. So take out your pens, dip them in the inkwells, and mark down that planning is not everything. Fate doles out some very nice things for you, and that is from Chris Groot. Um, Chris, like every community director, it's up to you to sort of whip up the community support. And one of your proudest achievements must be your your Princeton Rowing Junior program. I mean, I think you started with 20 kids and you have 200. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about how you launched and how and how, and how you gave it momentum? Well, I, I think you know, in this 
this part I have to really say it's the kids that have created the momentum um, and the mm, sport. I, right. I think we've touched on the teamwork aspect. I think that the kids um, really, a lot of the kids initially were athletes who looked at other sports and didn't quite fit into any of the sports and was looking around and oh. tried rowing. And then once we got um, some momentum going, it's really, we, we don't do a lot of advertising. We um, let the kids do that themselves um, and the fa- families of the kids. And there, there's just a lot of, of interest in, in the sport and in, in the, the program. Um, so it, it's not necessarily something that we've gone out and, and tried to do sales, but I think if you have a good product and you're offering a service and people see value in that, that, that they're going to come and, and people see the value in, in what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. That's that's good. I, I I think that's wonderful. And before we stop for the break, though, I was wondering if you could give us a little bit, um, talk a little bit about the, the financial support and uh, how, where, may I ask, does most of your funds come from? And by that, I mean, do, do you get governmental or county support or rowing association funds and what part of all of that is is donations i guess i'm asking we we actually get no money from the government at all uh Uh, we uh, are my gosh that must make you an almost unique entity in this here country but do go on well we get no i should say we get no direct support we are we're on on the county park um and so we are on um but we most of our funding comes from our programs. We do charge for programs, although we have um, about a quarter of our, our budget comes from donations and um, people who have give give to us. And with that money, we're able to provide programs support for for, for families that that cannot afford the program. Because our our goal is to try letting everybody who wants to row, all kids want who want to row, oh, to be able to row. Boy, what a what a wonderful thing! And I think that that's. So it's it's very very positive, and it's it's throwing your resources where uh, where you are winning, not where the brick, not where the wall is falling apart. I think it's great, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to the Art of the CEO streaming live from BlogTalkRadio.com, and since we have come to the midpoint of today's feast, I believe it's time for us to take a brief sorbet, if we may. And allow me to introduce to you the company by whose good graces we are here today. And that firm is Prometheus Publishing, the creator of, among many other divisions, Bart's Books Ultimate Business Guides. And you may visit bartsbooks.com, that's B-A-R-T-S-B-O-O-K-S.com, and explore a wide wealth of very practical wisdom from many business masters. And today, Prometheus Publishing invites you to come and visit their bookstore and take a look at the ever-topical book, Behind Every Successful Woman is Herself. And this is a volume that's, uh, well, it's really the contributed wisdom of nearly 100 women from all fields of business. And it guides you through uh, various experiential insights from the very first day of your career right up to taking the seat in the boardroom or launching your own firm. And I think the best endorsement for this book came from one research scientist whom I met at a book fair and after browsing through it said, just said, boy, do I really need this book. So I bet you all could benefit from a copy of it too. Um, and also, you may visit bartsbooks.com and grab, uh, while you're grabbing cultivation uh 
for your career, you can also take a look at the free weekly business quips. Just click on the little blue mailbox, and they'll come winging to you each week. After all, folks, it is time to laugh. Now, ladies and gentlemen, uh, and all you smiling retailers out there anticipating the holidays, uh, we are back with the head of the National Rowing Crew, Mr. Chris Groot. And Chris, there is a myth out there that rowing is the sport of the elite. It's sort of Ivy League-bound, Caucasian men and women minorities need not apply. Is that so? Uh, it is a myth. I, I will agree with you on that. Rowing has All a foundation right. in, in a wor- very working class. It was the people who used to row the goods and people off of boats to the shore that uh, where the, the sport started. So it was a very a working mm-hmm. class. But it was in the 1880s when there was large sporting events, a lot of money bet on rowing, that uh, people started throwing races. And so as a backlash to that, it became more of a amateur-only sport, which uh, oh. was where the, the uh, image comes from. But it, it's what? open and it's good for, for everybody. That's wonderful. I, uh, and while we're at it, uh, what sort of person i rode in college and i rode some afterwards and i spent most of my time paddling kayaks uh, since then uh a, a far departure but what what makes uh, physically what makes a good rower um at the top level it's somebody who's tall that can get good leverage on the oar a- another myth right. about rowing is that it's your arms only you actually sit on a seat that moves back and forth so your legs provide 75 oh. percent of your power and your arms uh, and yeah. the rest of your body finish it off uh, at the elite level the races are 2,000 meters and and i've been told by a sports physiologist that rowing a rowing race which the 2,000 meters a mile and a quarter in about uh, six minutes is the right. equivalent of pay, playing five back-to-back full-court basketball games within six minutes. <laughs> I the amount of energy it. that you spend. Oh, I believe so, it. I remember after the races, I could literally feel the blood surging through my totally exhausted body. It was keeping pace to the time of the coxswain's slap on the side of the boat. It's. It was. It really. It's beautifully, exhilaratingly uh, exhaustive. I love it. <laughs> now, uh, as the early morning mist rises off the lake, you can spy the eight-person shells like giant spiders with some exquisite coordination passing their oars in the water. Could you tell us, a, just, just give us a little bit of the experience about being in an eight? Uh how does it feel to be joined with seven other oarsmen and a coxswain all moving in unity? Just, just give us a feel of that. Rowers talk about swing. When everybody is moving together, it almost becomes effortlessly to go through the same motions and to push the boat through the water. Mm-hmm. Um, but you all have to work very closely together to accomplish that, uh, and it can easily go wrong. But when everything is working together, it, it feels almost effortlessly like you're moving through the water. Uh. That's great. That's great. And I, I there are there's more to it than um than of course just the feeling. I mean I, I, I'm a firm believer that uh that sports are the greatest training ground for, for anything that you want to do in this life and I believe uh in the old Duke of Wellington's line that the Battle of Waterloo was won on the playing fields of Eton. Uh 
What do you see? Uh, what do you see is this offering somebody in their business life? You said you're going to have a uh, a corporate thing, uh, corporate. Uh, I don't know if it's a contest or just a training session. Um, well, I r- think that is this the- is. Yeah, go ahead. Rowing is a sport where you have to work in total harmony with the other people in the boat. You, you cannot go anywhere unless you're working. And unlike other sports, when you are trying to secure or make your position in a boat, you're trying to beat out, supposedly, another person in the boat. But the only way you can right. do that is working in total harmony with them. And ah. that is unique to the sport, and I think that's something that goes can be taken beyond, that you have to work with another person in order to be able to excel. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there too. Now, there are other boat classes, other competitive classes than the... Uh, then of course the the eights, which is one what everyone looks at. What, what is, give us a, just a breakdown of some of the classes. Could you do that? There's the eight person, which is the most popular probably in the United States. There's a four person, sure. and there's uh-huh. a four person where each person has one oar, and when each person has two oars, which is called a quad. And then there's a pair, which each person has one oar, and a double, which each person has two oars. And then there's a single, where obviously the, the one person has two oars. Okay. Um, so they kind of fall into two category, two general categories when you have one oar in your hand or whether you have two oars in each, one oar in each of your hands. Now, what about the four with cocks versus the four without? What's the difference there? I mean, obviously, I know there's another person in the boat, but tell us a little bit about that. Well, if if there is if what we call a four without a coxswain, which is a straight four, um, one of right. the rowers has to take over the responsibility of steering the boat, looking around behind them. Because when you're rowing, you're actually going backwards. Yes, um, yes. So one, one of the people has to take over that responsibility, and also somebody has to become that person who calls the the strategy for the boat when they're racing or when they're when they're practicing. Um, which in a cox boat, when you have a coxswain who's steering the boat, they take over those roles. Yeah. Uh, well, how do the times go uh, between the four, the, the with and, and without? Are, are they close? Or are they? Um, they're fairly close. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, the coxswain, the coxswain is in some ways some people consider it a dead weight because um, they're not <laughs> actually <laughs> adding to the propelling of the boat, but they are allowing the rowers to concentrate on on the motions. So. Um, I would say that, like so many positions in business, they are adding to the power of the boat. They just do it unseen and perhaps a bit vicariously, right? Or not? That is that is true. They they allow the others to concentrate on what they do best. Oh, that's good. That's great. Now, um, the uh, you you've got uh, Mercer Lake uh, and the Rowing Association is a real hub of national races. Uh, could you tell us what's coming up on? Uh, do you, I know you have some regatta, some local regattas coming up. What are some of the big uh, races that you've got coming up uh, right now and, and in the year to come throughout the year? We have a we have a couple of uh, collegiate kind of collegiate junior and regattas this weekend. But looking forward to next spring, um, at the end of May, the weekend after Memorial Day, we have the IRA regatta, which is a regatta that was started in the 1870s, which is really the de facto oh national championship for collegiate. Mm-hmm. And then the week after, we have the national championship for the youth rowers for uh, clubs and, and schools from around the country. 
Oh, right. So you you do have you really are up the top. You've had the nationals there several times. Uh, Chris, I, I'm sure you have inspired many of our listeners to, listeners to think about taking up uh, the sport of rowing. And if they would like to get in touch with uh, the PNRA, um, and perhaps if they don't do not row, donate, whatever, how, how might they get in touch with you? Um, you can look us up at our website, which is R-O-W-P-N-R-A, P-N-R-A for Princeton National Rowing Association, dot org. Um, mm-hmm. Or um, if you are not in the local area here and want to get involved in rowing, um, look at the website for U.S. Rowing, the national governing body, which is usrowing.org. Uh, oh, and I'm they glad have you said for clubs in, in whatever area you're in. That's wonderful. And I certainly... Uh, as uh, someone who has enjoyed the sport, I, I cannot praise it enough. And I, but I also think that you have done an amazing job the, with all the people around and the schools that you bring in, as as well as the uh, the, the individual people uh, participants. So my congratulations to you, and I thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I've enjoyed all it. All right. Good. I'm glad you have now. Ladies and gentlemen, as we round out today's show, let me leave you with today's business quotation. Who is the one who said, if things seem under control, you're just not going fast enough? And as a hint, these words were spoken by an individual who truly knows ludicrous speed. And if... I actually remember, if you know the author of this quote, just write uh, that author's name, as you believe him or her to be, and send it along to info at bartsbooks.com. That's I-N-F-O at B-A-R-T-S-B-O-O-K-S dot com. And you will, if you're right, you will win an absolutely astounding, life-changing gift from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. <laughs> so, and finally, as a parting shot, in the words of my wife's husband... My writing improves with drinking, one scotch, and my words or power Hemingway, two wines, and the bard's sonnets pale, bloodless beside mine. <laughs> so, to all you faithful and playful listeners out there, I hope you've enjoyed The Art of the CEO as much as Chris and I have enjoyed bringing it to you. And remember, you may download this and all our episodes on blogtalkradio.com slash the art of the CEO. And next week, do tune in to blogtalkradio.com, uh, The Art of CEO, because you're going to hear a rather bizarre humorist, Mr. Adam Seltzer, who will laughingly trip us down the steps of how one can take one's most enjoyed talents and turn it into an effective business. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, it has been a privilege. I thank you. <laughs>